Welcome back to Farm and Country. I'm your host, Rosie Starr. On today's show, Christine San Jose narrates Valentine Inspirations along the Poets Row. Local writer and yarn slinger Busy Coy reads her recent piece, Windshield Wipers, debuted at Seminary Hill Cidery. Pat and Jim Sanders are for the birds and invite us to fall in love with the red-tailed hawks we see in our area. But first, here is Keith Hubbard with Star Talk about the moon, perigee, and hyperdrive math speak about the principle of doubling. Thank you for joining us on Radio Catskill for this week's locally produced Farm and Country. country. I'm Keith Hubbard, and this is Star Talk. The new moon was yesterday, marking the start of the lunar cycle. The new moon is not visible from Earth because the moon is positioned between Earth and the Sun. Today, the new moon is at perigee, the point in its orbit where it is closest to Earth. The moon's average distance from Earth is about 238,000 miles. Today, the moon will be about 222,000 miles away. The moon may still seem far away at perigee, but it may surprise you to find out that folding a piece of paper only 42 times will reach beyond the moon. Each time you fold a piece of paper, you double its thickness, and this doubling quickly adds up. A sheet of paper is about four thousandths of an inch thick, similar to the thickness of a human hair. While initially the doubling in thickness goes slowly, thanks to the mathematics of exponential growth, the doubling soon goes into hyperdrive. After 10 folds, the thickness of the paper increases by a factor of 1024 to just over 4 inches. After 20 folds, the thickness increases by a factor of more than 1 million to almost 4200 inches, nearly 350 feet. Finally, after 42 folds, its thickness increases by a factor of 4.4 trillion to 277,654 miles, greater than the distance from Earth to the Moon. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future Star Talk segments, my email address is startalk at farmandcountry.org. For Farm and Country and Star Talk, this has been Keith Hubbard reminding you to keep looking up. For WJFF and Farm and Country, this is Christine San Jose. Celebrating St. Valentine along the Poets' Row today, the poems speak for themselves. First from Robert Frost, Two Look at Two. Love and forgetting might have carried them a little further up the mountainside with night so near, but not much further up. They must have halted soon in any case, with thoughts of a path back, how rough it was with rock and washout and unsafe in darkness when they were halted by a tumbled wall with barbed wire binding. They stood facing this, spending what 
onward impulse they still had in one last look the way they must not go on up the failing path where if a stone or earth slide moved at night it moved itself no footstep moved it this is all they sighed good night to woods but not so there was more A doe from round a spruce stood looking at them, across the wall, as near the wall as they. She saw them in their field, they her in hers. The difficulty of seeing what stood still, like some upended boulder split in two, was in her clouded eyes. They saw no fear there. She seemed to think that too thus they were safe. Then as if they were something strange that uh, she could not trouble her mind with for too long, she sighed and passed unscared along the wall. This, then, is all. What more is there to ask? But no, not yet. A snort to bid them wait. A buck from round the spruce stood looking at them, across the wall, as near the wall as they. This was an antlered buck of lusty nostril, not the same doe come back into her place. He viewed them quizzically with jerks of head, as if to ask, Why don't you make some motion or give some sign of life? <laughs> because you can't. I doubt if you're as living as you look. Thus till he had them almost feeling dared to stretch a proffering hand and a spell-breaking, then he too passed unscared along the wall. Two had seen two, whichever side you spoke from. This must be all. It was all. Still they stood, a great wave from it going over them, as if the earth, in one unlooked-for favour, had made them certain earth returned their love. And here's another pair from our own Sandy Long, the Cardinals. Dusk settles. She comes to feed before the light completely fades. He follows, or maybe leads. I listen as they open seeds. They talk, they tell the day in chips and wing rush as I sway so slightly just beyond the pain, peering. And here's a lovely old country romance, a church romance, the poet Thomas Hardy calls it. This was in the days when the old country churches had those who could play an instrument lined up at the back above in the gallery. She turned in the high pew until her sight swept the west gallery and caught its row of music men with vial, book and bow against the sinking sad tower window light. She turned again, and in her pride despite, one strenuous vials inspire seemed to throw a message from his string to her below, which said, I claim thee as my own forthright. Thus their hearts' bond began, in due time signed, and long years thence, when age had scared romance, At some old attitude of his or glance, that gallery scene would break upon her mind with him as minstrel, ardent, young, and trim, bowing new Sabbath 
or Mount Ephraim. <laughs> I love those names of the old hymn tunes. I tried to find those two. I couldn't, but I do love the poem. And whoever gave birth to Thomas Hardy, thank you very much. And for the children, here's a kindergartner from Japan who says, Tazuki Meiku, she says, I'm marrying Masashi because I like him. Ryoko is marrying you. The girls all know who, but the boys don't know at all. This has been Christine San Jose for Farm and Country along the Poets Row. Here is Busy Coy, a writer in Yulin, New York, whose work appears in The New Yorker, McSweeney's, and Vulture. She reads locally at events hosted by Yarnslingers, the Delaware Valley Arts Alliance, Deep Water Literary Festival, and various libraries. I love good storytelling that is rich with visuals and has a sense of humor. The following piece... Windchill Wipers debuted at a Yarn Slingers performance at Seminary Hill Cidery in Calicoon earlier this year, January 28, 2024. I am driving through the Pennsylvania backwoods. The first big winter storm has come and gone. The pavement is clear thanks to plows and rock salt and sand, and finally, thankfully, sun. Sun In February, I feel grateful. I am the only one on the road, exactly how I prefer it. I like my solitude as I twist past small houses bundled in woolen sweaters of snow, their chimneys puffing like pipes. A car appears close behind me. I feel nervous. Whenever someone is on my tail, I assume they're mad at me. I must be going too slow. I don't like these thoughts. I want them to think I'm a good driver. I want them to like me, even love me. Is that too much to ask? I no longer see the charming sights of my quiet country drive. All I see is the other car. My eyes are drawn to the rearview mirror. What do they think of my driving? My self-worth hinges on their opinion. Won't they give me a sign? Then, something strange. I notice their windshield wipers are on. Full tilt. Tick, 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 tick. The setting for apocalyptic rainstorms. The in-case-of-emergency wipers. As I call them, the hypnotizers. But there is no rain, no snow, no ice. The sun is squint-worthy. Are windshield wipers the sign I asked for? If so, what does it mean? Do I have a flat tire? Am I in danger? Can the other driver see a murderer in my back seat ready to strike? Surely it's a mistake. Surely the driver will turn off their wipers at some point. But no, they keep on going. Tick, 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 tick. Maybe it is a young driver or an unfamiliar vehicle. That happens. It's happened to me. Cars are tricky. 
I once forgot which pedal was the gas and which was the brake, and I crunched into an innocent parked car. Mistakes happen. Who am I to judge? Am I not hoping the other driver will look upon me with empathy? Shouldn't I return the courtesy? I promise I am keeping my eyes on the road as much as I possibly can, but the intrigue is irresistible. I collect details. The driver is a woman, alone. She is not spraying any washer fluid, not swerving, not shouting on the phone, not eating and drinking, not quieting a screaming baby, simply driving, calm, serene, unfazed. What kind of woman is she? Where is she going? From whence has she come? I am obsessed. What is wrong with me? Can't I let someone drive in peace without needing to know their whole deal? Is this further evidence of my already obvious emotional issues? I have a brilliant idea. I will screech to a stop, forcing her to rear-end me. She will get out of the car and answer all my burning questions. My foot hovers over the pedal. Wait, is that the gas or the brake? It doesn't matter. Leave it alone. Just drive. Just drive. But I can't just drive. I need to know. I need things to make sense in this world, even if I have to invent the meaning myself. I write the story of the other driver in my head. Maybe when she was young, she was bullied. Maybe the other girls wouldn't let her jump rope with them. Maybe her dear grandfather picked her up after school one day, and he said, How was your day, darling? And she couldn't help but cry. Ah, oh, darling, he said, let me wipe away those tears. And then he flicked on the windshield wipers, and she looked over at him, baffled, and he said, Huh, they must not be working. She's still crying. I'll turn them all the way up. And he did and they squeaked across the dry windshield with the fast, steady pace of the mean girls who wouldn't let her double dutch. She smiled, and then she giggled because it was a ridiculously silly joke, but it worked. She never forgot his kindness, his million simple kindnesses, and even now, as she drives to her grandfather's funeral, she remembers, and she lets the tears flow free, honoring the memory of a gentle man with his tender eyes and his steady heartbeat. Tick, 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 tick. Maybe windshield wipers are her defense against the inescapable precipitations of love and loss. Maybe when she does this, she does not care at all what the other drivers on the road may think. Maybe there she has something to teach me. We stop at an intersection. I go one way, she goes the other. I turn on my wipers, a salute to our shared humanity, our unknowable depths, the tender eyes we all deserve to see, looking back at us in the rearview mirror of life. Tick, 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 tick. That was Busy Coy, writer and yarn slinger. I was in the audience at that Yarn Slinger's performance at Seminary Hill Cidery in Calicoon earlier this year, January 28th. I appreciated the cathartic humor 
with great sound effects and visual prompting. Listeners look forward to more of Busy Coy's readings in our community. Good morning. This is Jim and Pat Sanders for Farm and Country, and our program is For the Birds. That awesome sound is the scream of the adult red-tailed hawk. The call is usually made while the hawk is soaring, so whenever we hear it, our eyes go upward in hopes we will sight this great bird. When we do spot it, we see a large, broad-winged bird soaring with wings that stretch out almost five feet. Its mostly white belly hints that it's a red-tailed hawk, but it's only when we see it bank sharply to reveal its coppery tail that we are sure of it. Identification of hawks in flight can be confusing because it's difficult to judge size at a distance, but that red tail is unique to this species. Do note, though, that immature red-tailed hawks have a brown tail. Red-tailed hawks are the most common hawk on our continent and are found in more diverse habitats than any other hawk. It is easily spotted in flight because it is large and soars slowly and because it often perches low on woodland edges and along roadsides. You have an excellent chance of seeing one if you're alert to the possibility, especially since they're here year-round. In the winter, they are easier to spot as they perch in the leafless trees. Their territory ranges from half a square mile to over two square miles, and this depends on the abundance of food sources. Mammals make up the bulk of most red-tailed hawk meals. Frequent victims include voles, mice, wood rats, rabbits, snowshoe hares, jackrabbits, and ground squirrels. The hawks also eat birds, including pheasants, bobwhites, starlings, and blackbirds, as well as snakes and carrion. Individual prey items can weigh anywhere from less than an ounce to more than five pounds. It's worth noting that a typical redtail weighs in at only two to three pounds, so a five-pound prey is about twice its weight. Courting redtail hawks put on a display in which they soar in wide circles at a great height. The male dives steeply, then shoots up again at an angle nearly as steep. After several of these swoops, he approaches the female from above, extends his legs, and he touches her briefly. Sometimes the pair grab onto one another, clasp talons, and plummet in spirals toward the earth before pulling away. We look forward to being able to see this display someday. Red tails are monogamous and mate for life. An interesting and entertaining book called Red Tails in Love was written about a pair of these birds that mated and built their nest on a window ledge of an apartment on Fifth Avenue in New York City. It created quite a stir among the birders and the residents of the city. We recommend the book highly. Red-tailed hawks build nests of sticks high in trees or places where they have a commanding view. The nests can be three feet wide and both birds help in the building and they line the nest with softer materials like pine needles, shredded bark, corn husks, or whatever is available. In our area, two or three eggs are laid, and the pair incubate them for four to five weeks. 
After hatching, they work together to feed the chicks until they fledge about six weeks later. The best way to find a red-tailed hawk is to go for a drive, keeping your eyes peeled along fence posts and in the sky. Chances are good that the first hawk you see will be a red-tailed hawk. Just make sure to look for the buteo shape, broad, rounded wings with a short tail. Then check field marks like the dark bars on the leading edge of the wing and that distinctive red tail. Across most of the continent, red tails are more numerous in winter when birds from the far north arrive to join the birds that live in our area year-round. This has been Pat and Jim Sanders for Farm and Country, and we're For the Birds. The gray skies have cleared. Sunny days and cool nights make the sap flow in the trees. It's time to make maple syrup. When you see the vapor pillar link the forest and the sky, then you'll know the sugar-making season's drawing nigh. Frosty night and thawy day make the maple pulses play, till congested by their sweetness they delight to bleed away. Then bubble, 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 bubble goes the band. Furnish better music for the season if you can. See the golden billows, watch their ebb and flow. Sweetest joys indeed we sugar makers know. When you see the farmer trudging with his dripping buckets home, then you'll know the sugar-making season it has come. Fragrant odors pour from the open kitchen door. The eager children rally ever calling loudly more. Then bubble, 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 bubble goes the pan. Furnish better music for the season if you can. See the golden billows, watch their ebb and flow. Sweetest joys indeed we sugar makers know. You may wax it, you may grain it, fix it anyhow to eat. You'll always smack your lips and say it's very, very sweet. And David tasted some neath his cedar palace dome. Made sweet, had got the praises of the honey and the comb. Then bubble, 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 bubble goes the pan. Furnish better music for the season if you can. See the golden billows, watch their ebb and flow. Sweetest joys indeed we sugar makers know. And for home or love or any kind of sickness, it's a thing. Take in allopathic doses and repeat it every spring. Till everyone you meet at home or on the street, they'll have half a mind to bite you for you look so very sweet. Then bubble, 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 bubble goes the pan. Furnish better music for the season if you can. See the golden billows, watch their ebb and flow. 
sweetest joys indeed we sugar makers know. We hope that you enjoyed our show this week with production by Radio Catskill volunteers Keith Hubbard and Christine San Jose. Special thanks goes to Jim and Pat Sanders for their work with the Northeast Audubon Society and our guest, writer and yarn slinger Busy Coy from Yulin, New York. This has been your host, Rosie Starr. Thanks for listening local to farm and country and supporting Radio Catskill public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Listen on air at 90.5 FM on your phone or smart speaker or online at wjffradio.org. Support for Farm and Country comes from Damascus Citizens for Sustainability, a community-supported, science-based nonprofit, taking legal actions, providing tools for action, and raising awareness of fracking damage since 2008, proactively protecting public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org.